Today's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday the 13th of October 2022, here at Colin Chance House. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition, and with me to read the articles today are Moira Lowe and Richard Pugh, and our sound engineer is Alex Gwynn. We are, as usual, ably supported by the admin team, led by Carol Hartle. A warm welcome to all our readers, especially new ones. I do hope you enjoy this week's offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, readers' letters, birthdays and a thought for the week. Nowadays, obituaries are placed following the closing music, so if you wish to hear those obituaries, please stay tuned then. Don't forget that recordings are usually available as podcasts, but at present talking books are not available on memory sticks, but rather CD and tape. Also, do let us know your birthdays so that we can greet you, especially when the time comes. This service is free to users, but if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester WR5 1DA. We do like hearing from you. And a message can be left on our answer phone. That's Worcester 01905 767766. Or you could add a note to your wallet. If there's a problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. So now we'll start with a thought for the week from Moira. Okay, so this is from Romans chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Thank you, Moira. And now perhaps you'll also read the birthdays for us. Oh, yes. Well, the birthdays this week, uh, on the 15th of October, is Connie Blower, and also on the same day, our very own editor, Evelyn Brock. So, happy birthday for the 15th. Thank you. And now... Some useful telephone numbers. First of all, you have our phone number here in Wilds Lane, which I mentioned earlier. The police non-emergency number is 101. Crime Stoppers, 0800-555-1. The Worcester Hub, that's for council matters. Worcester 765765, Worcester Theatres, 
Out of Hours Medical Services, 111. Samaritans, 116123. That's a free phone number. And then the new one, which I know I added last time, could be useful as we're coming into both winter and perhaps some turbulence in um, energy issues. The number of Western Power, it's now to be called the National Grid, 0800-917-7953. That's to use in the event of a power cut. It's a 24-hour service. They also provide a priority service register, which is free, 0800-032-8302. And that will provide information in Braille, large print or alternative languages. And if there is a power cut, or both those numbers can be very useful indeed to find out whether it's your area or a total blackout. <laughs> right, so we'll start now the actual reading with the headline articles. Okay, so Moira. I've got headline from Friday, October the 7th, which is Light of the Party. And there's a picture, um, it's a colourful farewell to a bridge crash victim. And on the grave is um, an oversized floral arrangement of a baked bean can, a Nando sauce, Leon Perrin's Worcester sauce and a can of orange Fanta. Mourners spilled out of a church as scores of people came to pay their respects to a devoted dad described as the life of the party. There were so many people that some had to stand or wait outside as the funeral of Harry Smith took place. Mr Smith from Worcester died in a fatal crash at Eckington Bridge near Pershaw in which a car left the road and entered the river on August the 26th. A horse and carriage led the funeral procession, followed by more than 150 people, including the 33-year-old's family, who were wearing orange T-shirts with his picture. The procession made its way through the village to St Lawrence Church in Ledbury for the moving service. Mr Smith's family described him as a devoted nephew, cousin, son and dad, and most of the attendees incorporated orange into their outfits in order to pay homage to Mr Smith's favourite colour. There were floral tributes which included a baked bean can, can of Fanta, bottle of Worcestershire sauce and Nando sauce, some of Mr Smith's favourite food and drink, as well as his favourite fragrance, jupe. There were also touching flowers which read Dad, Son and My Boy. Once the procession arrived at the church, about 150 people made their way inside for the service. At the start of the service, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother by The Hollies and The Storm Is Over Now by Don Campbell were played. Everyone sang Amazing Grace and Reverend Mandy Williams read out a eulogy prepared by Mr Smith's family. Playing in the background was Red Light by Billy Ocean. The service closed with poems and recollections of Mr Smith's family and the final hymn was Old Rugged Cross. 
People made their way to the committal in the churchyard as I Won't Let You Go by James Morrison was playing in the background. Members of the family carried the coffin towards the burial and Reverend Mandy Williams read out a tribute. Towards the end of the ceremony, several white doves were let out of a basket. Outside the church, two flatbed vans carried tributes from his family and friends which were placed around his grave. One van was adorned with a giant flag with pictures of Mr Smith which read, Light of the party, love you Harry. Another of the flatbed vans was adorned with the tributes reading, R.I.P. my cousin Harry, along with posters of Mr Smith. My little piece of news comes from last weekend. Uh, from Saturday Sunday edition with the headline on the front page of Stop Blocking Our Street. Their fears parking chaos will block ambulances. Underneath a photograph of the rather congested street and a picture of the lady who's leading the campaign, uh, Jane Smith, we read parking is threat to life. A parking nightmare is becoming a matter of life and death, says a resident, who fears her neighbours may die if they ever need an ambulance. Jane Smith of Eskdale Close, Warnden, has even turned part of her lawn into a driveway as pressure mounts on residents to find a place to park. With so many people owning cars, she says residents from nearby Troutbeck Drive are also using the Close to park. She is calling for an urgent solution and fears people will have no chance in an emergency as ambulance and fire engines would struggle. The 58-year-old who was born in the close said, It's a nightmare. We're a close of just 14 houses and we have people from Troutbeck parking on the bank at Eskdale. God forbid if a fire engine or an ambulance should have to come up here. We have got no chance. The situation has got particularly bad over the last five to six years. I have even taken my front lawn up so I can get parked. I've now got a little bit of lawn left, but nothing to shout about. I think it is a life and death issue for residents. If there's a fire, you could lose your life if a fire engine can't get through. I do feel old Warnden gets forgotten about. Mrs Smith has raised the issue with Worcester City Council and local councillors, including Councillor James Stanley, a Conservative County Councillor for Gorse Hill and Warnden, and a City Councillor for Gorse Hill. Councillor Stanley said, Having visited Estale Close and other adjoining roads, he understood the level of frustration residents felt. He said improvements may involve a significant piece of work and hoped to meet with county council officials next week. It's very much an ongoing conversation to secure enough funding to make a meaningful difference to that area. I'm in constant conversation with the highway's liaison officer and those people who have responsibility for this. I understand completely the level of frustration they have. I've been there, he said. Mrs Smith believes surfacing two grassed areas in Eskdale Close would create around 10 spaces. Another solution, she said, 
could be to allocate bays for residents of the close. She said residents were so concerned about the parking issue they have even offered to do the work themselves in terms of resurfacing the grass. A spokesperson for Worcester City Council said, We have been made aware of the current parking issues in the area by the local county councillor and we are working with him to explore how we can improve the situation. And now from Monday, October the 10th, another area of unrest and chaos. Anger at horrendous, quotation, noise on site. <coughs> and the headline itself is illustrated by a picture of Councillor Richard Udall looking absolutely horrified and with his fingers in his ears. Pile driver frustrating neighbours. Noisy building site is sending us mad. A noisy pile driver machine next to a medical centre is sending people, quotes, mad. And the horrendous building site banging is said to go on for weeks. The work on the affordable housing development is underway near St John's House Medical Centre at the top of Bromyard Road, St John's, Worcester. We have previously reported on the plan to build 120 homes by Vistry Partnerships and Stonewater on the land known as University Park. However, the relentless hammering sound on the site is provoking complaints from residents who have been told the ear-splitting crashing could continue for the next four weeks. Councillor Richard Udall, a St John's Labour County and City Councillor, said the machine is so loud people can still hear it from the other side of the River Severn. The work is taking place at University Park Drive at two sites. The pile driver was not in operation when a reporter visited the area on Friday afternoon, although other heavy-duty machinery was running. One resident, who declined to be named, said, You get it double because of the echo. It's just this big pylon sounding the ground all day, a minimum of seven to eight hours a day. We were going insane because of the noise. It's enough to drive you mental. Another resident, 76, said, It's very noisy. You feel the vibrations all round the house. It's annoying, but if the work needs to be done, it needs to be done. Councillor Udall said, I have received many complaints from a very wide area. I live nearly a mile away from the site and I can hear the noise. Other residents tell me they can even hear it on the other side of the river. It's horrendous. A constant, repetitive, relentless and loud banging noise. To add insult to injury, we have been informed it will be going on for four weeks. Most people have had no prior notice or warning. Some local residents are sensitive to noise. They have no escape from it. It's very intrusive and disturbing. It's having a very serious and detrimental impact on the quality of life of many residents. Councillor Udall has asked both planning enforcement and environmental health to intervene, but said, 
Both appear to be powerless to help <clears throat> as long as the construction works happen between 7.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. we have no power. I would hope the construction company can consider attaching noise dampeners or echo barriers to the machine to try and reduce its impact. Clearly the work needs to be done but it shouldn't have to be so disruptive and damaging to so many residents. A Worcester City Council spokesperson said it was aware of the concerns and added, Having investigated these concerns, we have not evidenced any breach of the conditions attached to the planning approval regarding working hours and best practice that aims to limit the impact of noise on local residents. Residents should report noise nuisance to Worcestershire Regulatory Services on 01905-822-799 or email enquiries at worcsregservices.gov.uk. We approached Vistry Partnerships for comment. And the article tellingly ends there. <laughs> okay, so my headline is from Tuesday. Raider gets collar felt by PC Dog. And then the sub um, headline is Long Pause of the Law. A suspected burglar was cornered on the floor at a city pharmacy during a break in thanks to a very big police dog. Police were called to the scene of a burglary at DL Ogle Pharmacy in St John's in Worcester on Sunday. Dramatic photos shared by a city police inspector show the suspect on the ground inside the pharmacy and the big police dog and skilled handler who were both instrumental in the arrest. Inspector Al Denny of West Mercia Police said officers were directed to the location immediately and responded with vigour, supported by a police dog unit. Upon attending, the alarms were sounding loudly and we saw the suspect had gained entry by smashing the glass in the front door. Officers saw movement in the building, believing it to be the burglar, burglar even, PC Daniel Hines attended at the same time as Worcester patrol officers and immediately sent his four-legged friend, police dog Alvin, into the shop. PD Alvin, a very strong and fast Belgian Malinois, immediately sprinted out of sight to the rear of the store where he successfully detained our alleged burglar, preventing his escape from the crime scene. A male in his late 30s was immediately arrested for burglary and arrested on suspicion of another residential burglary. This suspect is being investigated for these and other offences. Inspector Denny described it as a good result for the local patrol teams. PC Hines and PD Alvin, who continued to respond to calls of service from the local community and a demonstration of our commitment in responding to burglary offences, which we recognised as having a huge impact upon those who became a victim of this dreadful crime. Chief Constable Pippa Mills said last week, whilst the number of burglaries locally is low, the impact of being a victim can be devastating. That's why it is our policy to attend all burglaries. 
We see the importance of this, both in terms of evidence gathering and in ensuring the right support is in place for victims and that we can help them feel safe in their homes. On uh, Wednesday the 12th, the front page of the news shows a headline, Fall to Death at Care Home, referring to a resident aged 82 forced open window before a tumble. A care home resident died after he fell from a window after forcing it open. An inquest into the death of John Miskimen, who died at Bedwardine Care Home in Rushwick in November 2020, took place yesterday. The inquest heard each window in the care home has a stopper preventing it from being fully opened. Coroner David Reed ruled Mr Miskimen fell from the window after he forced the window open, breaking the stopper. This, on the balance of probabilities, was the most likely cause of his accidental death, he said. Bedwardine House business manager Bernard Mew told the inquest they now check the restrictors on the care home's windows regularly. He told the inquest, because of what happened, we now have a weekly inspection to check the stoppers. It was on the list of things the cleaners were expected to go round and check. Mr Miskimen, referred to by his nickname Jack, died after falling from a window in the early hours of November 21 that year. Coroner David Reed heard evidence from staff at the home, hearing that Mr Miskimen, aged 82, had been in an altercation with a member of staff earlier that evening. This was after he had been restless, wandering the home and trying to get out. He had been put to bed after that incident, but when another carer came to his room shortly after to find he was gone. Searching the upper floor of the care home, she found an open window in room 11, with Mr Miskimen seen lying on the grass below. The pensioner, originally from Northern Ireland, had moved into the care home on November the 19th. He had been noticed by staff as polite and kind, and not prone to being upset or agitated when staff dealt with him. There had been a number, there had been a number of occasions in which he was found out of his room or trying to enter another residence room. Each time, the court heard, he had been told to go back into his own room, which he did. Giving evidence at the inquest was Deputy Manager of the Home, Christopher Sarbinis, who said Mr Miskimen was kind and apologetic, and that there had been no issues with him. He said he came outside with me once, and we sat there talking. He asked how he could go home, but we said no. You have to stay here for a few days, and he accepted it. I just said he was ready to go back in. Mr Mew explained the room had been vacant for a couple of weeks, meaning that it was empty at the time of Mr Miskin's death. Reports from the police and ambulance services said Mr Miskin was taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital, where he was treated for multiple fractures. 
The police report from DC Birchley of West Mercia Police confirmed the restrictor on the window was broken, leading to two possibilities. Either Mr Miskamin had broken it, or it had been faulty to begin with. He was given medication for the pain and his family agreed with hospital staff to move him onto end-of-life care. He died on the morning of November 26, with Coroner Reed recording his medical cause of death as multiple fractures linked to his fall. The inquest verdict was accidental death. And finally, the headline article from today, Thursday, October the 13th. Get out of my house. Woman, 80, sees off gang who broke into bedroom. And here's the full story. A brave 80-year-old woman yelled, Get out of my house! after a gang of masked men entered her bedroom in the evening. The brave pensioner had just turned off the lights to go to sleep when three men wearing balaclavas broke into her room. The woman's daughter, who wished to remain anonymous, said she was shocked by her mother's bravery because she's typically very mild-mannered. The daughter added, I was amazed at how brave she is. I don't think it has hit her just yet, but I think it will when she is in bed tonight. They entered the room, had a look inside every room, but then didn't take anything. The men entered the woman's bedroom in the evening just ten minutes after she turned off her lights for the night. Her daughter added, she is very calm, she doesn't swear or drink, but she yelled so loud, she told us her throat started to hurt afterwards. I think the family is very shocked. Nothing like this has happened before. We're shocked and angry. The raid was part of three incidents which took place between 5 to 10.10pm 10, 10 on Tuesday, October the 11th in the city's Ombersley Road and London Road areas. Detective Inspector Knight said... Detectives are investigating this spree and patrols will be focused in the area. D.I. Knight said it is believed the offenders were using a car and may not be from Worcester. Anyone with information about the burglaries is urged to contact West Mercia Police by calling 101, quoting incident reference 639 I one 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 zero two zero double two. Good for her. I think she was a very brave Absolutely. lady, but a very dangerous situation. It could have ended yeah. much worse, really, for her. So now I'm going to ask Richard to read a sports item of his choosing. Richard. Well, living in hope, we have uh, from. Uh, Saturday, October 8, uh, a full page regarding, uh, uh, with a lovely photograph of the Worcester City playing field, uh, the headline, City Chase Treble. The sub-line says, third win in a row in club sites. Worcester City are looking forward to make it three wins on the trot 
in all competitions as they travel to Stoke-on-Trent this weekend. City face stone-old Alanians at Kings Park as they look for another Midland Football League win. The away clash follows last week's 1-0 win over Utoxeter at Clanes Lane, which was the first game in charge for joint managers Keenan Meakin-Richards and Graham Deakin. City travelled to Stoke having lost the corresponding fixture 1-0 last season. Meanwhile, City have confirmed their new backroom staff with former player Jemiah Richards joining, having returned, sorry, having featured for the club in the 2008-09 season. He joins following coaching spells at Walsall Wood and Hednesford Town, also working for Birmingham City FC Community Trust. Another new face is Alfie Marsden, who joins a sports analyst, having worked alongside Keenan and Graham at Hednesford. Also joining the club and ready to play in Saturday's 2pm kickoff is forward Cameron Ebert. Cameron joins the club from Hensford Town and is previously of Birmingham City, Bristol Rovers, Hereford United and Bromsgrove Sporting. Following the signing, Graham Deakin said the signing of Cam is a real coup for us. He could have played at Hednesford and had plenty of offers elsewhere but he sees the project here and what we are building and wants to be part of it. Cam knows how we work as a management team and feels that Worcester is the right place for him. He could play on either wing or in the number 10. He is one that will really excite the fans. A number of players have also been confirmed as leaving City, including Matt Hunt, who returned to Tividale following their notice of approach for him a week prior. After leaving the club is Captain Craig Jones after more than 60 appearances for City. The next face to leave was Chris Withington, signed during the 2018-2019 season by John Snape and playing under both Ashley Vincent and Tim Harris, he made 95 appearances for the club. Midfielders Kieran Order and Liam Spink have also moved on. So next we have readers' published letters. And apologies in advance for any rustling you might hear, ladies and gentlemen, because we have two pages of these and we're going to pass them around and share it out very democratically. So I'll start... Charity Walk raised over £1,000. And it's a letter from Kay and Lee Briley of Worcester. Dear Editor, on Saturday, October the 8th, we held a memory walk in Worcester in memory of my dad, Doug Jackson, in aid of the Alzheimer's Society. There was a piece published in the Worcester News on September the 22nd for us. We wish to update you and thank you for the, your coverage. The day was successful with more than 50 people together with a variety of dogs taking part in the event on a beautiful sunny autumn morning. To date, we have raised £1,400. Thank you very much for, the, for publishing our walk. It's greatly appreciated. That was a splendid result, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. 
The next one is Thank You For Saving My Cat. And it's from Anita Dias of Worcester. Dear Editor, I would like to thank Conservative Councillor Steve Mackay and local campaigner James Woolgar for saving my cat on Saturday, October the 8th. My cat, Boo, wandered into the path of a dog on an extended lead. The dog savaged my cat while the owner stood and watched. The noise alerted neighbours to run outside to the scene. Steve Mackay and James Woolgar, who were canvassing on St Peter's, were at a door nearby. They bravely separated them. I don't think many people would attempt to do this. I believe Steve was bitten by the dog and my cat in the process. It was such a huge, selfless act of kindness. I would like other people to know about it. I cannot thank them both enough. Boo went missing for four hours but did return home and I was able to take him to the emergency vet. The incident was reported to the police who followed it up and I'm very grateful. And my third is Icing Choir's Celebratory Concert. Dear Editor, on Saturday, October the 29th of this year, Icing Choirs will celebrate its first birthday with a very different but really enjoyable occasion in the magnificent setting of Pershaw Abbey. Together with guest appearances from the Vigornia String Quartet, the concert will feature 160 members from the Mast Icing Choirs, drawn from choirs in Cheltenham, Sirencester, Droitwich, Malvern, Tewkesbury and Worcester. The choir was founded by Helen Jones in 2021, who is passionate about supporting local communities and charities, and the celebration concert in support of the Pershaw Wellbeing Hub will be another opportunity to continue fundraising activities, as the choirs feature feel-good contemporary and uplifting songs. Many choir members together with Helen have recorded at London's world-famous Abbey Road Studios, as well as singing at Notre Dame Cathedral and Disneyland Paris. Tickets are now on sale online, www.eventbrite.co.uk forward slash e forward slash I sing choirs. You will be found a charity concert tickets. Tickets are priced at £15 and £12 for concessions. So i pass on to Richard. Under the heading of Are We Losing Our United Kingdom? Michael Parker writes, What kind of kingdom are we living in when 357 of its parliamentary members can unilaterally decide which of only two chosen candidates can be proposed as the new short-term leader of the kingdom? Worse still... Then giving the final decision as to who should have the task of deciding the future of 45 million of us to just 200,000 voters. One singled out to make that momentous decision because of their previous financial payments to the same 357 parliamentary political party, it doesn't look like a great kingdom to me nor an inclusive one, and certainly not a democratic one. It seems more like a recipe for oil in the wheels of a disunited kingdom, one unable to create the informed 
long-term unity required for meeting its legal carbon reduction responsibilities over at least the next decade. Next letter from Mrs. Kath Mayhew refers to a competition and cuppa. I would like to say a big thank you to the Worcester News for cheering up my day. I received a phone call today to let me know I had won a prize in one of their competitions. It was very easy to enter. I collected the specified number of tokens which were printed in the paper daily and posted them off with my answer to a simple question. I have now got a £50 voucher for Sainsbury's, which is a lovely treat and very helpful at a time when watching the pennies is so important. I'm not usually lucky, so if I can win a prize, anyone can. I really enjoy reading my Worcester News early in the morning with my first cup of tea of the day. It keeps me up to date with all the local news and often has great features from the archives showing Worcester over the years, which I find fascinating. Thanks once again. Okay, so I've got the honour of the last letter. Um, This is from Mike Levins of Worcester. Today, history clearly suggests the concept of trickle-down economics does not work. Thatcher tried it and it failed. President Biden has kicked the idea into touch, so why is Liz Truss right? Like levelling up, it is an ideological myth that depends entirely on the philanthropy generosity of the rich. One possible way this may work was explained by a businesswoman on Nikki Campbell's Radio 5 phone-in show recently. She recommended the way to redistribute income was to donate any surplus unneeded income to a food bank so it could feed the poor. Very Victorian and totally in keeping with the present government's right-wing philosophy. Among other things, levelling up should primarily be about treating individuals the same as far the same as far as that is practical. Incentivising the well-off to work harder by paying them more whilst incentivising the poor to work harder by penalising them hardly meets those criteria. (laughs) Thank you, Moira. And I'm sorry for the inequitable distribution of those (laughs) letters. I'm afraid the Worcester News' layout doesn't help mathematical klutzes like me. So we'll go on to general articles now, and I hope I can count properly. I'm going to kick off with... It's a sort of historical article, really, and it's labelled Hero WW2, World War II, Spitfire. Um, And it's about a Spitfire pilot, Peter Taylor, One of the last remaining Spitfire pilots of the Second World War, Peter Jock Taylor, who lived in Hanbury Park, Worcester, has died at the age of 99, turning another page in one of the most heroic chapters of the RAF. Although joining after the Battle of Britain from 1942 onwards, Flight Lieutenant Taylor did it all. Bomber escorts, ground attacks, D-Day and Normandy, to mention just a few of his combat actions. His son John said, Dad rarely spoke about the war. If you asked him, he would usually reply, I just 
did what I had to do and leave it at that. Worcester War historian Dilip Sarkar, who has written many books about the Spitfire and the men who flew them, said, Peter was very shy, incredibly modest. He never sought the limelight, but preferred to talk about his colleagues' heroics. It was almost impossible to connect this softly spoken and kind man with the wartime fighter pilot he once was. Peter Taylor had been born in Glasgow in 1923. After leaving high school at 16, he worked in the offices of a Fife shipyard before volunteering to join the RAF on his 18th birthday. He was sent to America for training and returned home on the Queen Mary, then being used as a troop ship. He arrived at 65 Squadron in 1942 when the air war over Northwest Europe was intense with Spitfires undertaking all manner of operations, including escorting the huge formations of American bombers, which must have been quite a sight. During the lead-in to D-Day and throughout the subsequent Normandy campaign, the Allied fighter squadrons of the 2nd Tactical Air Force led a nomadic existence, living under canvas and operating from temporary airstrips, first on the south coast, then in France, supporting and keeping up with the advancing Allied armies. Dilip Sarkar explained, This close air support was dangerous work indeed, as Spitfires and P-51 Mustangs, both of which Peter flew, strafed and dive-bombed the enemy, with anti-aircraft fire often heavy and an ever-constant hazard. Flying shuttles, the Allied fighter-bombers returned repeatedly attacking at low level. This entire period was relentless, and Peter flew throughout, during which time he damaged the Fokker Wolf, 190, and as his logbook records, participated in innumerable operations. Peter, like his friends Pete Wass and Tony Minchin in 122 Wing, represented the backbone of fighter command. The anonymous pilots who courageously did their duty with little or more, often no, recognition. They did not see themselves as heroes just that they were trained to do a job and got on with it, regardless of the obvious risks and dangers involved. Peter would never, or at least very rarely, speak of his own experiences, but freely describe the heroics of his comrades. He was, though quietly proud of the part he had played, but was never one to draw attention to himself or step into the limelight, which perhaps made him all the more endearing. Peter and I met in 1988, when, having recently retired to Worcester, he walked by the Tudor House Museum and saw our exhibition, Spitfire, which included reference to 65 and 19 squadrons, both of which Peter served with, and photographs of certain of his old friends. Indeed, I was able to reconnect with him with several. As our activities gathered momentum, we developed quite a community of survivors and their wives and families, holding many events, including book launches and symposiums. Peter was always there and became in many ways a cornerstone. Many times I appreciated his measured advice on various matters, 
I miss our spontaneous meetings and chats at the local supermarket and petrol station, times when he would often talk surprisingly openly about the past. Peter was, in fact, the last surviving Spitfire pilot of the countless I knew, so his passing is actually a landmark moment and the end of an era. After the war, Peter Taylor had a career in sales and on retirement moved back to Worcester in 1988 and lived with his wife Joyce in Hanbury Park, St John's. They were married for 74 years until Joyce died 12 months ago. And by the time you hear this, Peter's funeral will have taken place on Friday, October the 14th at Worcester Crematorium. And there are some splendid pictures of him in the traditional bomber pilot's outfit of the Second World War and also as an old, older man um, sitting inside a Spitfire um, at a reunion event at RAF Duxford. And other pictures showed him in later life with friends and family and also the Spitfires that he flew with such dignity and pride. Moira. Um, a history expert's video illuminating the rich and mysterious heraldry of the Tudors in Worcester Cathedral has proved a big hit with audiences. The video, shared by at history underscore Alice on TikTok, sheds light on the complex symbolism of the Tudor dynasty, which emerged as the dominant house after the bitter civil wars known as the Wars of the Roses. In the video, she talks in detail about Prince Arthur's chantry, Prince Arthur was the older brother of Henry VIII, who died on April the 2nd, 1502, before he had become king. The elaborately carved chantry is one of the most striking features in the cathedral, surrounding the tomb of Henry VII's eldest son. So far, the video has received more than 3,500 likes and many shares and comments. In the video, the commentator described the chantry as a brilliant lesson in the heraldry of the Tudor world. She said... First of all, we have the White Rose of York, the badge of the Prince's mother, Elizabeth of York, surmounted with ostrich feathers, the emblem of the heir, the Prince of Wales. Then there's the single Red Rose of Lancaster, which is the badge of Arthur's father, King Henry VII. We have the Double Tudor Rose, formed by placing the York Rose upon the Red Rose of Lancaster. We have the Tudor Portcullis, which is now the badge of Parliament. We have the white rose of York between an ostrich feather and a fleur-de-lis, showing that the claim to parts of France had not yet been dropped at this point. Then there's the open fetterlock badge, which is surmounted by two roses. We've got a bunch of arrows, which is the symbol of Isabella of Spain. We have the Tudor rose with garters surmounted by two ostrich feathers, showing that Prince Arthur had been elected as a knight of the garter. We have a pomegranate, an emblem of Catherine of Aragon, who is Prince Arthur's wife. And then we have the arms of France and England, supported by the Welsh dragon and the greyhound. The shield of Henry VII and later of his granddaughter, Queen Elizabeth I. My story from the Saturday the 8th of October shows a beautiful sunlit picture of a local hostelry and the headline initially made me smile until I read the article and realised how serious it is. A mother of two said she would burn a pub down before spitting in a police officer's face. 
Anna Bosworth appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court on Thursday, admitting being drunk and disorderly in a public place and common assault by beating of an emergency worker. Eleanor Peart, prosecuting, said police were called to the Glover's Needle pub in Warnden at 10.30 on September 10 this year, as there had been reports the defendant had been making threats to stab people and burn the pub down. PC Scott Ryan attended, and after the 37-year-old initially ignored him, he took her arm. She became defensive, screaming, and becoming agitated, the prosecutor said. She was verbally abusive to the police officer. Miss Peart said after arrest and while in custody, Bosworth said she would knock police officers out before PC Ryan gave her a drink to calm her. She turned to the officer, jumped and spit the comment, spat the contents towards PC Ryan, hitting him in the face, the prosecutor said. PC Ryan said in a victim statement, it had been disgusting, unacceptable and degrading for him. In the interview, Bosworth made full admissions, adding she spat in the officer's face to embarrass him. The prosecutor added Bosworth had two previous convictions for assaulting an officer. Barry Newton, defending Bosworth of Warnden, said straight after spitting she told the officer, I shouldn't have spat at you, I'm sorry. Mr Newton said Bosworth had been drinking and went to the pub as she thought a woman who had stolen from her handbag would be there. He explained Bosworth had then shouted abuse at a woman she mistakenly thought to be the thief before being asked to leave, and the police were called. She says she was too drunk and is very sorry, the solicitor said. Mr Newton said as her last offence was in 2004, Bosworth had been out of trouble for many years. The solicitor added Bosworth suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, and had referred herself to support service Cranstoon for drinking issues. Sentencing her, Philip Newton, chairman of the magistrate's bench, asked this, said the assault was not the nicest of things, adding that they had found it serious enough for her to receive a community order. Bosworth was given a 12-week curfew and told to pay compensation to the officer of £100, costs of £185, and victim's surcharge of £114. My article is from last Friday, October the 7th. Work begins on bridge. Work to build a new multi-million pound bridge across the River Severn in Worcester has started. Worcestershire County Council said preparations are currently being made to build the new walking and cycling bridge from Gellivelt Park to the former Keepax landfill site in Worcester, ahead of the main work starting towards the end of the year. Workers have been in the city park for the last week digging what looks like foundations for the new bridge. The County Council said the new bridge is an important part of its walking and cycling plans and believes it will lead to improvements in active travel infrastructure in Worcester and the wider county. 
This comes after the council was told it cannot be trusted to use money for walking and cycling correctly until it improves as part of a zero rating by government body Active Travel England. The embarrassing rating was given to the council for not even meeting the minimum standards of political leadership on boosting walking and cycling in the county and for its lacklustre track record of providing improvements. Last month, it was revealed that the cost of building the new bridge had almost doubled to nearly £16 million, up from around £9 million three years ago. The council blamed inflation and rising costs for the spiralling budget, but said it will still be able to afford the bridge. The council has said it can pay for the bridge if it moves around some of the money in its existing budgets and makes big cuts, including important funds for maintaining roads and infrastructure to its own capital spending. It has been almost a year since the council received planning permission for the bridge and work now finally looks set to have started. A decision was expected to be made last July but concerned councillors delayed a decision until they were reassured the bridge would link with walking and cycling routes. The hold-up led worried council bosses to share grave concerns over the future of the bridge, fearing the authority could lose out on millions of pounds of government funding. The committee met again in September, with the council left breathing a huge sigh of relief <coughs> when the plan was eventually ushered through. On the subject of bridges, the historic street lanterns on Worcester Bridge will be reinstated this week. The columns and lights were removed from the Grade 2 listed bridge earlier this year by Worcestershire County Council. Contractors worked on restoring them to their original condition. The project did not always go smoothly, however, with storm damage and a theft setting the work back. Now the council says the project is on track to be completed by the end of next week when the final eight restored lamps are reinstalled. Councillor Mike Rouse, Cabinet Member for Highways and Transport, said, I'm absolutely delighted to hear that all the columns and lanterns have now been fully refurbished and I look forward to seeing them back where they belong on the bridge. They are an asset to Worcester's heritage and I am pleased that they will shine once again in the city. These lamps are notable survivals of a type of street lighting which are increasingly rare and I am impressed that they were able to be restored to their former glory. I would like to thank everybody who has been involved in this project which has been delivered within the expected time frame despite a number of challenges. The eight columns on the eastern cathedral side of the bridge were successfully restored to full working order and reinstated on the bridge in May this year. The final eight columns and lanterns on the western side will be replaced next week. The work will require a lane closure with traffic going into city, into city down to a single lane over the bridge. It is expected that all lanterns will be fully working in October. The columns, dating back to the 1930s, had deteriorated following decades of exposure to river flooding conditions, as well as suffering corrosion and general wear and tear. The renovations included stripping back years of previous paintwork to the original brass finish and fitting new LED lamps to reduce energy consumption and ongoing maintenance costs. 
the old hinged doors were modified to ensure the integrity of the luminaire housing. From Thursday, October the 13th, there's an article which many of us may readily identify with. It's headed, Workman's Mess is Soul Destroying. It shows a picture of the property concerned and the mess. A man is gutted that dirty mud has been splattered over two homes he has spent two and a half years renovating by contractors. Ash Browning, aged 62, used to run Browning's furniture at 35 Wilds Lane, but has since renovated the building into two homes. It has been a labour of love for two and a half years, but Mr Browning was upset to see the state it had been left in by city fibre contractors. A note was pushed through the door by the workers apologising for the mess with a promise to come back and clean it up. City Fibre's area manager for Worcester has also apologised for the mess and reiterated that teams will be out to clean up the affected area. Mr Browning, who now runs the furniture business online, said, I came back to find everything literally covered in mud. There was a screwed up letter shoved through my postbox saying, sorry, we'll clean it tomorrow. There's now mud all over my brand spanking new railings, walls and windows. The mud has just been splattered and sprayed everywhere. He phoned City Fibre to complain and said that they were sympathetic. However, he did not want compensation or for anyone to come and clean up the mess. He added, it should have been screened up properly to protect my property so that none of this would have happened. It's soul-destroying. Two and a half years you work on something and someone comes and does that. My friend who is an architect has explained that this mud will have chemicals in it and it won't be easy to get off. It took a professional builder three weeks to put those new windows in. I'm not having someone come and scratch those trying to clean it up. Neil Wright, City Fibre's area manager for Worcester, said, We expect the highest standards from our build partners, which is why we are very sorry to learn of the concerns raised by a resident in Wilds Lane. Our local build team is now cleaning the area to ensure the street is left as we found it. We'd like to thank all residents for their support and patience throughout the build to date. We are investing £21 million to bring the best available digital connectivity to thousands of homes and businesses in Worcester. And once the full fibre works are complete, businesses and residents in the area will have access to future-proof digital connectivity that will not need to be replaced for decades to come. My article next is headed Owners Moved Aside and it's about, I think, the end of a long and painful journey. Worcester Warriors owners have officially been replaced, administrators have announced. Colin Goldring and Jason Whittingham have been replaced as directors of MQ Property Company Limited by Stuart Madison. This announcement comes as Julie Palmer, 
Julian Pitts and Andrew Hook of Begbie's Trainer Central LLP have been confirmed as joint administrators over WRFC Trading Limited, receivers over Six Ways Stadium and receivers over the shares together with any other fixed security assets of Worcester Sports Limited. The administrators are overseeing the club, the stadium and the land. A statement from them read, This is an important step in being able to deliver the full suite of assets comprising the trading entity, the stadium and the surrounding land to enable a purchaser to move forwards with a well-funded proposition to ensure the future success of professional rugby in Worcester. We remain in active and constructive discussions with interested parties. As new sole shareholders, the receivers replaced Goldring and Whittingham as directors of MQ Property Company Limited, with Madison as the sole director. Madison is a former partner of PwC with over 33 years of experience in turnaround and restructuring matters. The news has been welcomed by the city's MP Robin Walker and other supporters who hope this will make a deal more appealing. He said, after such a horrible day yesterday, some cheering news from Begbie's today. They've secured the land, crucial and hopefully a major step forward to securing new investment. Well done. Yesterday, we reported how the community had reacted with sadness and anger as part of Worcester Warriors was wound up. Players and staff had their contracts terminated after a court took 22 seconds to wind up a company which holds the player contracts. The winding up order means that contracts are automatically cancelled for all staff and players and players and staff will now all be able to find new jobs. Okay, this story's uh, headlines, My Shed Will Be a Warmer Home. A single dad claims his garden shed will be warmer than his home this winter because he says his housing association refused to insulate his property. Nigel Cleal said Platform Housing Association promised it would fix his heating system and a hole in his bath alongside a range of other issues. The 50-year-old of Nash Close Martley lives with his son Oliver 12 and said, last year it cost me £120 a week on electric, now I'm looking at £192 a week and I cannot afford it. I can't afford nearly £200 a month on my electric, so basically we will be living in my front room. I'm insulating the outside walls and ceiling of the front room with polystyrene and cardboard. If I ever have a fire there, the whole thing will go up in flames. I know it's a hazard, but I haven't got a choice. I have been promised, promised and promised by platform housing and nothing has been done. They told me that work will be completed last year. I'm annoyed. Platform is very quick to say I've missed this month's rent, but when it is on the other foot, it is a lot for them to insulate the flat this year. For the past six months, Mr Cleal has been showering with a hole in his bath that he has covered with silicone. Mr Cleal said he informed Platform Housing about the hole in March, but is still waiting for it to be fixed six months on. Marianne Duffy, Chief Operations Officer at Platform Housing, said... We're sorry that Mr Cleal has had to wait for this repair to be completed. 
we note that he has raised the issue about the bath with us and then subsequently had to cancel the appointments that were made. Unfortunately, this has prevented our operatives from being able to visit the property and fix the problem. We are happy to assist him in getting the necessary repairs and have made contact and booked a new date this month to attend his home. And some rather nice news from Thursday, October the 13th. To show the, uh, supporting the power of uh, fragrance from flowers and gardens generally can bring. I did a beautiful photograph of some flowers. There is a headline, Garden is Transformed. A Worcester woman whose memorial garden for her daughter was flooded with sewage has been overwhelmed by help from generous Good Samaritans. Lindsay Bennett's garden on Britfield Road was flooded with sewage on Monday, September the 26th ruining her daughter's memorial garden and leaving a foul odour throughout the house. The ordeal has been incredibly hard for Ms Bennett, who has suffered from nightmares and panic attacks following the flooding. She was contacted by John Hadley of Worcester firm JH Construction and Groundworks, which became aware of the situation through a Worcester News article. Lindsay said, I just keep going out into the garden and look at the amazing work they have done. Since Emily died, I have been feeling really lonely and this was such a difficult situation to navigate. This totally turned my frown upside down and I am incredibly grateful. The most incredible thing is that they would not take any money from me despite all the work they did. They are such kind people. Lindsay lost her daughter Emily, aged 25, after she died from a heart attack and pneumonia earlier this year and had a memorial garden in place for her which the sewage destroyed. John Hadley said, We saw the article on the Worcester News Facebook page and I reached out to the Worcester News to ask if they could put me in touch with Lindsay. She gave me a call and I was able to head out and see the extent of the damage. We bought new plants and managed to redo the memorial garden. My cousin who works with me and I have experienced just how traumatic the loss of a loved one can be, so it really resonated with us. Times are tough at the moment, and anyway, we could help her. We were more than happy to. When the garden was flooded, sewage and toilet paper began to pool across the garden and continued to rise until seven Trent Water were able to help. Jason Snow, Worcester and Gloucester catchment lead from seven Trent, also helped Ms Bennett with replacing some of the items that were damaged during the incident earlier this month. My article is from Tuesday, October the 11th. No action over mystery gunman. A mystery gunman who shot at cars in a spate of Wild West attacks will face no action after the case was closed, sparking anger from some victims. We reported how a gunman opened fire on several cars in Worcester, one bullet or pellet narrowly missing a toddler as it punched a hole in the back window. 
The windows of businesses in Worcester, including Bygones in Deansway and Lister's Seat dealership in Ombersley Road, were also damaged during the drive-by shooting spree. Attacks happened on the A449, the M5, Deansway and Sansom Street as part of the spree between 4.30pm and 5pm on Monday, June the 27th. But despite there being at least seven victims, West Mercia police say they have exhausted all lines of inquiry into the case. Among the victims was Faust Matsochi, who was driving his Mercedes Vito in Whittington, Worcester, near Junction 7, Worcester South, of the M5, when he heard an almighty loud noise. Fortunately, there were no passengers in his nine-seater private hire van when his back window was shot, leaving a hole. West Mercia police were hunting the driver of a white BMW 3 Series. The 61-year-old said at the time, I couldn't believe it. It looked like a bullet hole. I wasn't frightened for my life, but I was a bit shocked by how loud the noise was. He said he was not surprised when he received a letter from the police saying the case had been closed. When the letter came in, I looked at it, read it, tore it up and threw it in the bin. I'm done with West Mercia police. Meanwhile, the driver of a Land Rover Discovery was heading towards Clanes on the A449 near Horford Lodge when he heard a tremendous bang at around 4.30pm on the day of the attacks. He discovered the back window contained a bullet hole. In reaction to the letter, he said, I'm really disappointed, to be honest. That's the word I would use, but I'm not surprised. I feel like they've got away with it. In the letter from police shown to us by one of the victims, and the article carries a, a copy of that letter, a force spokesman wrote, a thorough investigation has taken place with numerous lines of inquiry being explored, including CCTV opportunities, ANPR, forensics and a number of statements being obtained. As a result of the information we've been provided with and having reviewed the circumstances of this crime, unfortunately there are no further inquiries we can make and this investigation has been closed. If any new information becomes available about your crime, this decision may be reconsidered. West Mercia Police was approached for further comment. Drivers have complained they have been left trapped in a hospital car park, spending almost an hour trying to leave. Bosses at Worcestershire Royal Hospital have vowed to make changes to its car parking system after visitors are becoming stuck in long queues. Visitors have said the layout of the car park is causing issues and leaving to long tailbacks throughout the site on Charles Hastings Way. Baz Adams from Malvern was stuck in the car park for more than an hour after bringing his wife to an appointment. He said, my wife's appointment was 3.20pm on Monday in Sorrel Suite. We were in there at around 3.10pm so we wouldn't be late. We were eventually seen at around 4.10pm. 20 minutes later we eventually left and returned to our car. I literally reversed out of the space and stopped. We didn't move for about an hour. 
Nothing moved forward at all. I've never seen anything like it in all of my 70 years. We eventually arrived home in Malvern at 6.15pm. Never again. David Jenkins was picking his mother up after an appointment and was stuck in long queues waiting to leave. He said, I think the issue is at rush hour when everyone leaves at the same time. Four car parks empty out onto that one small access road that goes to the roundabout. After reports of continued issues, Matthew Hopkins, chief executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust, said they would be consulting with parking specialists. He said, We are aware that the current parking provision in place across our hospitals is not sufficient and recognise the difficulties and anxieties that this causes for our patients, staff and visitors, particularly at peak times. We are enlisting the help of parking specialists who are experts in their field and who will work with us to ensure that we can further increase our car parking capacity across our sites and improve parking arrangements in order to sufficiently meet the needs and improve the experience of those who use our car parks now and into the future. While this significant piece of work is underway, we've taken a number of steps to reduce congestion and ease the parking pressures, including the increased use of telephone and video appointments, which are more convenient for patients and reduce the number of vehicles coming onto our sites. From Monday the uh, 10th of October, I catch this headline which I thought pampered pooches, whatever next. The headline is Dog's Life in Therapy. But the story was not about what I presumed it would be and read as follows. A therapy dog has made his first visit to a Worcester primary school. Nonu was taken to Northwick Manor Primary School by his owner K-Pipe to meet school and explore the school. From next week, he will be back for regular sessions aimed at boosting pupils' mental health and well-being. Sarah Stanley, deputy head teacher at Northwick Manor, said, Kay is a volunteer from Pets as Therapy and Nonu has been fully trained and risk assessed before coming to us. We, he came in this week just to get used to the environment and was so calm, nothing phases him. He is an amazing dog. The plan is for him to start next week, hopefully with a few children, and then potentially we could build up to having more sessions. Pets as Therapy is a national charity that pairs volunteers and their temperament assess pets with establishments including schools, care homes, hospitals, hospices and prisons. Founded in 1983, the charity's vision is to ensure that everyone in the UK has access to the companionship of a friendly pet. Mrs Stanley said there were a number of reasons why having Nonu visit Northwick Manor will be beneficial to pupils. He'll be working with children who are maybe stressed or anxious, children who have had a difficult start at home or are finding it hard at school, she said. Dogs have such a calming nature that he'll make them feel less stressed, he'll provide comfort, enhance self-esteem and even help to improve social skills. Children who don't speak very much can be motivated to chat by interacting with a dog. It'd be great if all the children could interact with the dog, but of course that's not practical, so we'll pinpoint those who really need it and the ones that it will be suitable for.
Staff and pupils at Northwick Manor were celebrating last month after Ofsted said the school was outstanding in its latest report. Inspectors praised the school for its varied curriculum, range of opportunities available to pupils, ambitious maths curriculum, and its commitment to ensuring that pupils learn to read. Well, after that article, I feel that it's my duty to speak up for the cats next. And this article carries a lovely picture of three enchanting black and white kittens, and it's headed staggered by kittens. An animal rescue centre has been left staggered after being flooded with unwanted kittens. The RSPCA's Holdings Rescue and Rehoming Centre in Kemsey has seen 60 kittens arrive over the last eight weeks. Yes, six zero. The charity believes this to be the effect of the cost of living crisis, with many pet owners left struggling to afford to care for their animals. So far this year, the Worcester Shelter has taken in 99 kittens, compared to 104 and 77 for the whole of 2021 and 2020, respectively. Well, volunteer Claire Wood said, As a charity, we're seeing more and more pregnant female cats, barely more than a year old themselves, coming into our care, as well as litters of unwanted and abandoned kittens and unneutered male cats who are battered and bruised as a result of fighting and straying. We know that many people are under immense financial pressure at the moment, and that pet owners are hugely concerned about rising prices and how this will impact on their ability to care for their animals, something they fed back to us in our Animal Kindness Index. Along with other cat and vet organisations, we'd strongly encourage people to get their cats neutered from four months old, to protect them from certain diseases, prevent unexpected and costly litters of kittens, and help ease the pressure on animal welfare charities like ourselves. Among the recent arrivals at R. Aspen, Francis, Spruce, Rowan and Juniper, who at roughly six weeks old were found living outside after their mum gave birth to them in a garden in Worcester. Volunteers from the centre run by the RSPCA's Worcester and Mid Worcestershire branch spent several days trying to trap the homeless feline family. After it, the concerned homeowner contacted them for help. It's thought that the mother cat, Rochelle, who is still only young herself, has already given birth to several litters of kittens. She's now been neutered and is ready for her forever home. Staff who have cared for her describe her as a sweet-natured cat that enjoys food and fuss. The RSPCA is urging anyone looking to bring a pet into their home to consider adopting rather than buying. This comes as the charity launches its annual Adoptober Meat Rehoming Drive, which runs through the month of October. And you can find out more details about how to adopt an animal from the holdings by visiting the centre's website. A man who was told he would have to wait 14 years for a shower to be installed at his flat has finally had his pleas answered. 
We previously reported how Richard Kite, who lives in Crickley Drive, Warnden, had been told by Platform Housing he could not have a shower installed in his bathroom until 2036. However, when the Worcester News intervened, Platform relented and installed his shower in late September. The 43-year-old, who is over six feet tall, wanted a shower because the bath his flat came with was not suitable with wanting to save water and the risk of falling while getting out. With the pressures of the cost of living crisis, he also said he wanted to save as much water as possible with a shower proving far more efficient than a bath. Offwat says more should be done to save water with utility bills set to skyrocket this winter. One of their recommendations is to take showers instead of baths, with a standard five-minute shower using about 40 litres of water. It is roughly half the volume of a standard bath. He said at the time, I've been living here for 14 months and only have a little bath in here. I'm six foot three, so a shower is way more suitable, but platforms say I can't have one until 2036. By then I'll be 60 years old. I just don't get it. 14 years is just mad and I've been fobbed off by everyone I've gone to for help on this. We've been asked to save water and save energy, so surely a shower is better than a bath for that. After the Worcester News intervened, Platform's Chief Operations Officer, Marion Duffy, confirmed the housing provider had been in contact with Mr Kite to arrange a new shower installation. The reason for the delay, Platform said, was because at a previous inspection in 2021, no issues had been found, so another routine check was not scheduled for another 15 years. Well, evening with her cats, I think we need another dog story, really. Oh. Under this beautiful photograph of this lovely pooch, uh, do I really need to train my dog, is the headline from October 7. Animal behaviour training instructor Sarah Roper shares her tips for training your dog. It can't be that hard to have a good dog, right? We never went to dog training classes when we were kids and the family dog was great. My friend, family member, a bleak neighbour has never needed to use a trainer or been to a class with her dog, and their dog is so good. Everyone is a dog expert and has so much to say on the subject when you get a dog. You go onto YouTube and there are thousands of dog training videos. There are so many to choose from for each type of problem. Thousands of dog training books out there too, and no two courses, videos, books, bits of advice will be the same. Why is this? Because every person and every dog is different. Every trainer does it in a different way. Yes, there may be many similarities, but there will be differences in the nuances of training, what they are happy with and what they are not. People have different learning styles, visual, auditory, trial and error, doing, trying, or a mixture of learning styles. If you combine our learning styles with a dog's learning style, some are problem solvers where others need to be shown and lured, guided. Some are both, but it will depend on what state of emotions they are experiencing at the time. There are endless possibilities of ways to do things. Then the teaching style of a trainer or source of training information, such as video, book, verbal or in person, enters the mix. And sometimes things work 
and sometimes the chemistry isn't there either between owner and trainer or between owner and dog. It's no wonder we hear so many people say, oh, I tried a trainer, they cost me X amount and it didn't help, and then they give up on the issue at hand and either live with it, often causing resentment, or rehome the dog. Imagine going through life never knowing what the rules are or what's expected of you and randomly being told off, ignored, or corrected for doing something that you didn't see a problem with. Things that made you feel good, even eating food. This is how a dog feels when they have had no training or guidance and it can make them fearful, wary and emotionally unstable. So yes, you really do need to train your dog. This may not be through enlisting the help of a trainer. This may be something that just comes naturally to you and you and your dog just get each other. Amazing. But if there is a divide in communication, then it's time to find what path to success suits you both to bridge that gap and in turn create a happier life together. Recognising both of your learning styles and using them to your advantage is key. Remember that human lifestyles and even pet dogs have changed rapidly over the last couple of decades. We fondly look back at the family dog with rose-tinted spectacles and there would have likely been issues with its behaviour that you as a child may not have picked up or it may not have affected you. There is so much help out there, you don't necessarily need to spend a small fortune to get the best out of sharing a happy life with your dog. Above all, my best advice when embarking on this amazing journey is to seek help and advice that is positive reinforcement based sorry, that is positive reinforcement based. Punishment based training is outdated and will cause more fear in your dog than being trained. Ah. And my next article is about something rather serious when things do go out of control. House crash driver jailed. A dangerous drink and drug driver who crashed into a city house, seriously injuring three people, is now behind bars. Worcester Crown Court heard Todd Richardson of Sapphire Crescent, Worcester, will miss the birth of his second child next year after being sent to prison. Siobhan Collins, prosecuting, said the 30-year-old had been out drinking with friends in December the 19th and at the end of the evening offered to drive a friend's BMW to take them all home. Miss Collins said friend Adam Nichols had not believed Richardson was over the limit, so he agreed he could drive the car. There was a party of six, one getting in the boot of the BMW X6 that Richardson was uninsured to drive. The prosecutor said the car was caught on CCTV footage, travelling at, quote, incredible speed, before veering off Bromwich Road St John's and crashing into a wall of a property. The crash caused substantial damage to the wall and two cars parked on the driveway. Miss Collins said the BMW then went into a spin, going into the next door property, hitting the porch before coming to rest in the front garden. An eyewitness saw Richardson run from the scene. The court heard three people were seriously hurt. 
Amy Russell, whose head was bleeding after the crash, suffered a cracked vertebra. Bradley Birch, who suffered broken ribs and a punctured lung. And Chloe Nichols, who had been in the boot, suffered a fractured sternum and ankle that required surgery. The prosecutor added Richardson gave evidential specimens of so many micrograms of alcohol in 100 milliliters of breath above the illegal limit of 35 micrograms and 13 micrograms of cocaine per liter of blood, the legal limit being 10. She added Richardson was also found to have ketamine in his system. While the prosecutor was reading out one of the victim's personal statements, a member of the public swore, calling them a liar. Security removed him from the court building. Jason Patel, defending, said Richardson was a family man, previously of good character, and among those supporting him in the public gallery was Mr Nichols. Mr Patel said Richardson made the mistake of driving the BMW and had panicked after the crash. Judge Martin Jackson said there had been a combination of serious factors, including that the damage to the front of the BMW showed Richardson had crashed when he was driving far too fast while under the influence of alcohol and drugs. Richardson showed no emotion as he was jailed for 32 months and given a driving ban of four years and four months. Well, now we've reached the end of this recorded edition. Thanks to Moira and Richard and Alex for reading and recording and to Carol Hartle for leading the, our vital admin work. We hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll be back for more next time. So it's best wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all the team. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Arthur Edward Knight sadly passed away at home on Thursday, 15th of September, aged 85 years. Funeral service will take place on Friday the 21st of October at Worcester Crematorium at 11.30am. Donations, if desired, can be sent to the building block. Refreshments will follow the service at the New Inn on Ombersley Road. And next, we remember Beryl Joan Norman, formerly of Poic who passed away peacefully on the 27th of September 2022 at Howbury House Care Home in Morven, aged 95 years. Beloved wife of the late Raymond, loving mother of Michael and late Christopher, grandma to James, William, Emily and Oliver, and great-grandma to Poppy, Oscar, Eli, Milo and Charlie. The funeral service uh, is to be held at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 19th of October at 11.30am. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired for the Alzheimer's Society can be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son in Ombassey Road, Worcester. And we remember Rene Chester passed away peacefully 
at home after a short illness on the 24th of September 2022, aged 100. Cremation for family and close friends at Vale Crematorium, 10am Friday the 21st of October. Service of Thanksgiving at Sir James the Great Colwall at 1pm and reception afterwards at Colwall Village Hall. All welcome. Family flowers only. Donations to the Children's Society. And Liam Maxwell, known as Bill, who passed away peacefully at home on the 26th of September 2022, aged 89. His funeral service will take place at Our Lady and St Alphonsus Church, Hanley Swan, on Tuesday 18th of October, 11am. Charitable donations in memory of Liam may be made directly to the Traveller Movement or Worcester Food Bank. Georgina Ching, known as George or Georgie, passed away peacefully at her home on the 27th of September 2022, aged 91 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 18th of October at 11.30am. Family flowers only please, donations if desired for Acorns Children's Hospice Trust. John Pimlet, formerly of Kemsey Village, passed away peacefully at Good Hope Hospital Sutton Coalfield on the 23rd of September, aged 96 years. Funeral service to take place Tuesday the 25th of October at Perry Bar Crematorium, 389 Walsall Road, Perry Bar, Birmingham at 2.30pm. Family flowers only and donations, if desired, for the Royal National Institute of Blind People. Joan Margaret Seagott passed away peacefully at Howbury House on Saturday the 10th of September 2022, aged 88 years. The funeral service has already taken place. Donations may be made to Dementia UK. Sybil Chapman passed away peacefully September the 24th, aged 89, at Worcester Hospital, having suffered a stroke. Funeral at Worcester Crematorium on October the 27th at 11.30pm. Family flowers only, donations to Marie Curie. Caroline Ann Harms passed away on September the 30th, 2022 at Worcester Royal Hospital, aged 56 years. Funeral service at the Church of St Martin's, London Road, Worcester, on Friday the 28th of October at 1pm. Family flowers only. Donations in memory of Caroline are invited for Disasters Emergency Committee Ukrainian Humanitarian Appeal. Rose Chalice passed away peacefully at home, surrounded by her family, on the 26th of September 2022. The funeral service has already taken place. Peter Charles Johnson passed away at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on 5th of October 2022, aged 72 years. The funeral service will take place on Wednesday the 19th of October at St James's Church, Harvington at 11.30am. Family flowers only please 
and donations if desired for WAH charity Aikenbury 2 CCU. Audrey Lillian Lee, nay Watts, passed away at home on the 23rd of September 2022. A funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 20th of October at 11.30am. Flowers or donations if desired for leukaemia care. Cicely Sanderson. Cicely passed away on Thursday the 29th of September 2022 at Newtown Community Hospital. The funeral service will be held on Monday the 17th of October in Emstrew Crematorium Shrewsbury at 4.15pm. Family flowers only please.